Hello, I'm your host, Sarah Bartley, and you're tuning into another episode of Funding is the Matter. Funding is the Matter is a podcast that talks about the surplus of issues caused by the racial wealth gap. The podcast that breaks down methods to sustain funding for education and science topics that impact the Black community. This podcast proves to define that Black Lives Matter is a scientific and social problem. So for this first episode, I'm going to break down my background, talk about why I chose this topic, why is it such a big passion project for me, and also talk about my how I am at HBCU now, and also talk about the breakdown of the format of the podcast, as well with how to find me on social media and how frequently I'll be posting. Okay, so I'm going to go into the background now. And so for my background, I have a BS in physics and a minor in public health from Adam Scott College. I have an MS in physics from the University of Central Florida. And currently, I'm a PhD candidate in nanoengineering at ANT. So why are we here? What provoked me to make a podcast about policy, about science, and about these different topics and how they relate to the Black community? One of the major things is, as we all know about the pandemic, is the fact that there are so many of these topics that are relating to the Black community and so many podcasters and content creators didn't know how to fully verbalize it. And we didn't really have too many academics in the space really breaking this down. And also, most importantly, we didn't have any academics in the space talking about why, how these structures have been made through policy And not only breaking it down both on the local, the state and the federal issue, because there's different layers of how this has gone to like a federal and even on a global level to impact our international community. And so instead of me just like looking at all these other content creators and being like, you should do this, I decided that I should pretty much get the background in it. So I started off with getting a virtual internship with Arizona State University. They had an internship called Science Outside of the Lab. And so for that, we were supposed to do a community or an ambassador project to go back to your university and talk to them about what you learned from talking for two weeks to science policymakers, curators, and different people that impacted science policy. And so for me, I wanted to develop a podcast talking about the lack of funds to HBCUs because during this time, so many people were donating to HBCUs because of the George Floyd protest. And so my major thing was, I know that right now it's a trend and I want to sustain this money because it's owed to HBCUs and also trying to figure out how is it owed What has anybody written about it and just figuring that out? And so January 2022, I came back to them stating that I would like more funds to also to make this podcast and to figure out how to break this up because it's a far bigger issue than what I thought in June 2021. And so from the winter school, I pitched to them and won funds to talk about this issue on so many levels and also to make policy memos because it's one thing to tell you HBCUs need funds. This is how for years we have been underfunded. It's a whole nother thing to say, these are the policies that we can have at the local level. This is what you need to tell your council member. Then at the state level, this is what you need to tell your senators. This is what you need to tell your state representatives. This is what you need to tell your state senators. This is what you need to do at each one of these levels. And also at the federal level, this is also what you need to do so that we can also have 
long-lasting, sustainable policies that are not just helpful for years, but helpful for decades. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about the lack of funds to HBCUs and mostly also about the background that I've had at PWIs. I'm going to talk about how did I come up with this topic and how did my background really impact this? So first, before we go into this topic of being a Black woman at a PWI at STEM, one thing I would like to say is just like just trigger warning, just topics of sexual assault, topics of abuse, just trigger warning before. So at this point, if you can't listen to it at this point, that's fine. In another two weeks, there'll be another episode that will not have this conversation. So just to give you a heads up. And so as I go back to talking about being a Black woman at a PWI in STEM. So I'm at Agnes Scott College. It's a women's college in Decatur, Georgia. It's five minutes away from Atlanta. I was diagnosed with PTSD. I went to their rape crisis center that was literally a block away, which luckily for me, and being a survivor of sexual assault, I assumed at a women's college that I would receive outpouring of support. I assumed because we were a women's college, because this was a school that was talking about we need to support women, they were quote unquote liberal, I assumed I was going to get an outpouring of support. That did not happen. What happened was I was told, yes, I understand that this has happened in her life. These assignments are due. This is when the syllabus said she needs to get these assignments done. It did not matter that the deans were just like, you should give her some grace. This is a really traumatic time in her life. Maybe It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I had to get my assignments done. I still had to get them done, even if they weren't going to be done to the best of my capability. It still did not matter. And so those are just a list of issues of me just going through and just figuring out, like, I'm going through such a traumatic event right now, and I'm really not getting supported by my department. And also just seeing how other white girls in my department were so much better supported than I was. I remember just like one student, every time during finals, her computer crashed with quotation marks. And just hearing our professors just being so sympathetic of being like, oh my goodness, your computer crashed. You have a weak extension. How come she gets an extension? I'm telling you, I'm going through this traumatic event. And they're just like, well, she didn't plan. I was like, I also did not plan a traumatic event. I did not plan it. Didn't, didn't try to have this happen to me. And it just was just looking around us at the hypocrisy of the fact that for your first year, that a lot of like of the white girls there, they would consistently be told about an internship at the observatory where you can pretty much get author a paper, which is just amazing for a first year at any school. If you're authoring a paper and getting it published and doing work over the summer, which is very helpful for graduate school. And just so many times, like each Black girl at Agnes Scott, they always have the discussion of when did you hear about this after the first year? Because we're never told. We're never told about it. And then at least by the time I came through, they at least told me about like research experience for undergraduates. So I did at least get two internships, one with Howard, one with Louisiana State University. So at least like the Black girls at least like helped me out there. 
But it was just like consistently, they were always told like, yeah, we're not told about the research experience at undergraduates. No one tells us about that. We're not told at all about that internship that they do your first year. We're also not told about the many other experiences to do at other observatories. We're never told. We are just told whenever we see it on Facebook, when we see it on the school website, that's how we're told. We're told to congratulate these students. And that's pretty much how it would go. And so it was very strange because when I could at least get myself together and just manage to do all these other great events of making a woman of color in STEM panel, because I saw the fact that as the Black students, we just weren't supported and just getting not only just Black women, but getting next women, Asian women on a panel and having a discussion about what was your experience throughout undergraduate, graduate school, and uh, being a professor. And just the pushback that I received before the event was the staff and the faculty were just so upset about the fact that, oh, you're really just like, this is um, discriminating against the white woman. Why can't the white woman be on the panel? Why can't they be here? And just really being like, we have a woman of STEM panel every year, and there's always white people on it. There's always white women. And the only time that you guys put a Black woman on it is because I complained. And then she barely was able to speak because all you guys did was ask all the white women questions and all the white girls that came there only asked the white women questions. And so I just made my own event and I literally paid for it out of my own pocket, even though I really did not have that much money. And that's a whole other conversation. And so just like seeing the fact that so many students loved the event, they just love the event. Like so many students are just like, I'm so happy that I saw someone that looked like me, that had so many of the same experience that had, it just was like such a great experience for all of them. And even one of those people on the panel is like also going to be on the podcast later to talk about federal issues as well. And it just was something that was just very strange just to see the fact that so many students were so happy. And then the faculty and the staff were just scrambling afterwards because the students were just like, oh, yeah, we want this event every year. We want this to happen all the time. And even the second year that I did it, there again was issues. There was again an issue. Okay, fine. You can have majority black and brown professors, but we still need to have a white woman there just so that nobody's excluded. And again, I had to, again, be like, okay, so I'm going to have to do this on my own. At that time, I at least received funding from the student government. And so at that time, at least it was funded and everything else. So it was great. And there was just so much of the pushback from the staff and faculty still to be just like, we still need to have our names on this banner because we met with you about it. And I was just like, so you guys didn't get any of the panelists. You didn't design, like you didn't decorate this room. You didn't make up any of the questions. You didn't do any of the work to actually get any of this event done. But because we had a meeting about it, your name needs to be on it. And just pretty much just very, very calm. Well, just very quickly in an email being like, no, just no, your your name's not going to be on it. And, you know, that still was an issue to this day. And unfortunately, there even was like, a black dean that was there and she was not helpful. So that was one of like my first signs of like, all skin folk is not kin folk. And so that was, I still managed to at least make some sort of community at that school. And still to this day, a lot of the work that I did, the physics department put the woman of color in STEM panel 
on their website and never asked me for permission. They put the work for the computer programming club that I did. They put it on there without my permission. Still to this day, I think they took it off like last year or something like that. But it was it was up there for a good a long minute without any permission. They took pictures there. They did not help on the website. They're just like, oh, yes, we funded it. And it's like there was zero dollars and zero cents from the physics department. Zero, zero times. They told me that you could not find any Black women in STEM to do this program. They were not helpful. And so that's when the things of why, because I had such a rough time in undergraduate, I was like, okay, I'm going to need to get a PhD. The thing is, I'm not equipped because I had to deal with all of these issues. So there's a bridge program at the University of Central Florida and at five other institutions as well. And it's through the American Physics Society. The main point of this bridge program is to help out African-American students, Latinx students, and other minorities to pretty much get their master's degree and then eventually transition to a PhD. That is what I did for the first six months at University of Central Florida. It was, there was pretty much, it was no drama. I did my courses and everything else. But one of the things I came into the department, I told them I have a physical disability. I have bone deformities and I want to get the surgery for this right now. And so I'm looking for doctors to get my bones straightened. And I just want you guys to know that. Everyone at the beginning was fine. I guess they assumed that I wasn't going to find it. I guess they assumed that I was never going to figure that out. That that didn't happen. I found a doctor. And so I still was under my parents' insurance. It was like pretty cheap to get the surgery done. It was like $200 because my mom was under the federal plan. So it's pretty cheap. And so I'm going to get my surgery. And up until literally the day of my surgery, that's when the support died from the University of Central Florida. I remember them being so upset that I wanted to take two weeks off, even though the doctor told me two months. I remember them looking at me like, why are you not in the lab? Like what happened? I remember emailing back like I had bone reconstruction surgery. They literally had to break my femur. And so not going to be there on Monday. We all knew about this for months. Like I'm confused at why you're confused. So many of them trying to make sure that I didn't get paid during that two weeks because they just felt like you shouldn't get paid if you're not working. And I just was like, what? Even though the person that tried to make sure I didn't get paid was not over my stipend, the person that was over my stipend didn't care. I think she was on sabbatical or something like that. And so the other person was trying to act like, oh, no, she doesn't need to get paid. She's not working. Da, 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 da. I was just so confused. because I was like, everybody knew about this. I didn't just get a surgery, hide. And so those are just like some of the first abuses that I was facing from the University of Central Florida and some of the staff and the faculty. And then also at the lab that I was working, I, again, I had previously told them, I'm going to get this surgery. I want you to know that I'm not going to be as mobile as I was before. After I got the surgery, they were stating that I was so lazy. They're just like, your progress has just dragged, aren't able to do as much work as before. And I was just very confused because I just was like, I told you I got bone reconstruction surgery. I didn't say I got a BBL. I said I got bone reconstruction surgery. My femur had to be broken into two. There's an iron rod in my leg. I broke this all the way down to everyone. Three months before the surgery was even scheduled, I literally gave them three months progress in August. I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to search for the surgery. 
The moment I scheduled it in November, I was just like, I'm going to get this done in May so I can at least heal up in the summer months. And because it's a computational project, this should not have, a, have an issue. There still was very much major issues. Come back. And they are just like, oh my goodness, you're so lazy. You haven't done as much progress. I had made so much progress beforehand because I understood after surgery, I'm not going to be as mobile. But that still didn't matter. I remember like a moment when the postdoc, he was just so angry with me because he's just like, you're not getting as much work. I remember him throwing post-it notes at me in front of all the other students. I remember him screaming at me, demeaning me, talking about how lazy I was. And for the most of the time that until he left the lab, which was in August, he was just completely cruel to me and no one did anything about it. And this is me literally limping around. Just limping around, just struggling to walk and just being like, okay, I'm literally being demeaned by all of these students. And unfortunately, these weren't even white kids. These are international students. So it's kind of just like, okay, I'm trying to sit over here and work as much as I can, struggling to get physical therapy and just looking around like I am not being given any of the same grace. And so after I got kicked out of that lab, I just was like, I'm just going to complete this coursework and I'm just going to leave this school because this is just not worth it. And so I just started applying to HBCUs. I just was pretty much done with physics. I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to engineering because just on the real, you have higher salaries in engineering. I just don't want to do this. I understand that we have less than a hundred black women with a PhD in physics. It just will not be me. And so I just went through and A&T had funding at their nano engineering program. And so currently I'm here at A&T at their joint school. And so now it's a question of, is the grass greener at an HBCU? I'm currently at the joint school of nanoscience and nanoengineering. And we're partnered with the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. The thing is, it's off campus. I applied during the pandemic. I did not know how far off campus it was. But the major pluses that I have had at A&T is the fact that I have gotten multiple fellowships. I've got internships opportunities. And I'm also able to start the podcast that you're listening to right now. And so one of the things that I did not know about since it is a partnered school, National Joint School, I thought that there would be so many more Black students there. I thought there'd be so many more Black faculty there. Unfortunately, that's not the case. We do have a Black dean, and we did have a Black faculty member that was here, and he went to main campus. And so really, I'm a minority in my department. and kind of felt a little duped. I thought at least if I don't have at least Black people in my department, I can walk out. There'll be other Black students. There'll be other Black events. But we're off campus. And so... Just really just getting frustrated by all the things going on, getting into my lab, figuring out whatever I have issues with the other lab mates, just feeling like the angry Black woman when supplies that have, have been used up and just being like, this is not okay, going and having to like train myself on the instrument for my research and just feeling like just not knowing because I'm coming from a computational background. I don't know anything about experimental work. And so just not knowing how to do those things and just not feeling supported. And just also that at each time that I not, don't feel supported, again, being bogged down into that angry Black woman trope. And just, again, just getting even more and more angry because I'm at an HBCU. This shouldn't be happening. And so 
as I've been here, it's like, yes, I have been successful. And it's just the frustration of having to find grants and collaboration. So I graduate on time because I'm not trying to graduate in six years. I'm not trying to graduate in five years. I want to graduate in four years. At most, four and a half. That's as deep as I'm going to get it. And so it's just one of those things of me just looking around and just saying, like, this is not the experience that I thought I was going to have. And the major reason why I came to a is because of the stipend and asking that question of, how come we have a stipend and most of the other people at A&T, may they be humanities, are even science majors, they don't have stipends. And the major question, the major solution to that is we're partnered with UNCG, which is a PWI. And so why do we need to collaborate with PWIs to get funding to kind of make these partnerships to make PWIs that aren't PWIs? Like JSNN is pretty much a PWI in my opinion. And so just to break these topics down from, from the background and all this other stuff is the structure of this podcast is going to be first about the history and the history of redlining and also talking about the civil rights movement and the Black Power movement, but all of this in Greensboro, North Carolina. Because also another component for me, just for selfish reasons, to get like the community aspect as well by talking to all these Black scholars, all these Black professors, and then trickling it down to like the local issues. So some of these issues, not they won't be limited to, but just at this point is the student issues, staff, faculty issues, and also to the state issues of land-grant institutions. Again, it's not limited to just this only issue. And also federal issues from NIH, NSF, and accreditation, and also within each section, the local, the state, and the federal are going to be different sections. Within that, I'm going to have policy memo episodes. And so these are going to include recommendations to sustain or create momentum for funds for each one of these problems. And so that's pretty much what we'll be doing for at least the rest of this series for the HBCU edition. So this is the end of the first episode. I'm signing off. Thank you for listening. I hope that you got through. If you didn't because you were triggered, very sorry. Follow the podcast and follow on follow on IG at Bundy underscore is underscore the underscore matter. Also at Twitter at Buzz underscore do underscore matter. To subscribe to this podcast, you can find it on Spotify, Apple, or other podcast platforms. This is a bi-weekly podcast, and I'll see you in two weeks. And thank you so much, and I'll be out.